0: Matthew, in our text today, that Rich read to you, uh, the first few texts, Matthew doesn't tell us the name of the angel that greeted the women as they came to the It says an angel. Nor the name of the angel that came to Joseph to tell him about the impending birth. Joseph, the husband to be the promised husband to America. However, Luke, in Luke's story of all of this, tells us that Gabriel was the angel that came to Mary and said to her, the Greetings favorite number one. God's the work in your life. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. So I got to thinking about that, and I got to. Wondering what it would look like if Gabriel was the one assigned in all three places to tell Mary, to tell Joseph, to tell the people at the church. What if that was Gabriel? And so I'd like this morning just to explore what it would have been like to be the angel that carried these three messages. Much of the rest of the sermon is speculation, I will admit. But it's meant to cause you to, to think about this difference of life, the whole life of Jesus. And so from now until the end of the sermon, I'm there. There's never a dull moment around God. I remember the excitement around heaven when you first broached the idea of creation. Especially the creation of free will beings that had the potential to really screw the up. Of course, that's the way God created us angels. Satan used to be one of our group. Satan enjoyed of God and company of angels that love
1: God, but free will individual, he decided that he wanted more power, and you know the rest of the story. God finally said to him, you have no place in heaven with the rest of us, and he cast him out. I've always thought that God's desire for real, authentic relationships is a mark of His character. And so that's why he created us free will, because he wanted people who really did respond to him, who really did give back to him the relationship that he wanted to have with all of us. Well, all of us angels stood around with mouths agape as the creation took shape. And finally, as the first human being stretched his limbs and looked with wonder on the beautiful garden into which he had been set, And then his wonder as he received the companion that God had created for him. What a moment that must have been. We all saw the potential of this. First, of the tenderness that the man returned to God. And we enjoyed watching Adam and, and later Eve walking together in God in the garden and conversing with God. What what a thing, what a beautiful thing that was. And we also liked seeing the curiosity and creativity of this being that God had created. Creativity shown in the naming of the animals and in a thousand other ways that man brought his touch to the garden. But we also saw the danger of it, too. Creativity can be used for bad ends as well, as you know. And that's where it eventually went. Like Satan, man and woman decided that what God had given them was not enough, and they decided to act autonomously. So they looked at the fruit, and they wondered what the fruit would taste like and how their lives would be changed if they ate it. And how they could become like God. And it broke God's heart. Because this was so much less than God had planned for them. We watched humanity go through highs and lows. The lows being the flood. When man became so incredibly corrupt that God said there's only one thing to be done the Tower of Babel, when mankind decided that they wanted to make a name for themselves and the way they were going to do it is build this humongous tower. We saw Israel's horrible behavior in the wilderness and all these things were good examples of how very bad things can become because of humanity. But then on the other hand, there were those high spots like David, this great king, this king that loved God so much and had this wonderful kingdom. And who wrote great songs that we call the Psalms. What What a high spot. I really get chills thinking about that. About the love of a Mother for a child, about compassion shown to a leper, all examples of mankind at his or her best. And I especially love the smiles that break across God's face when he witnesses that sort of thing because that's in accord with what he planned for us. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. In heaven, we we say you don't have to be God. To see that mankind needed a lot of work, and there was not going to be any overnight change to this mind of its own being. This required greater work than that. Sort of like a human teenager who thinks his or her parents are the dumbest people around And it takes some failures on the part of us before we realize that we really do need help. So God, in the next stage of things, gave humanity what we call the Law of Moses, including the Ten Commandments, to help mankind see how helpless they are. The Laws are simple and good. They really are, when you think about it. It's simple and good. But when mankind sets out to try to keep those ten laws, they find out just how deeply the, the pain and failure goes into their being and how impossible it is to keep that law. It's a brilliant strategy on God's part. But as I said, change doesn't occur overnight. After Solomon's death, King Solomon, one bad king followed another, and eventually lifelong enemies of Israel killed or enslaved every one of the people. It's a dark time, but it was also the opportunity for God to shine the brightest light into the midst of humanity. And that's when God called me, Gabriel, to his side and said, I've got something for you to do. I want you to be my special messenger. People I've chosen to help me with my plans need your assistance. What is going to happen, God told me, will be too marvelous, too frightening and too horrible for them to comprehend. You'll know when it's time to put on your messenger cap. took a few more centuries in human time for this to happen. For God, it was just a second. But when he called me into his chamber, he said, now it's time. Now it's time. My first Human to angel soiree came when I went to see Mary. She was a young Israeli girl promised in marriage to a man named Joseph, a virgin. My message to her was very upsetting, at least I thought it was. I thought it would really just blow her out of the bucket to use language that you would use. You're about to become pregnant. That was my message. But such things don't happen to respectable girls in Israel. In fact, some even die for it. I told her that her pregnancy issued from the Holy Spirit working in her life, that God was very much a part of this event. But this had horrible implications for her and her husband husband-to-be, I should say, embarrassment, shame, exclusion, divorce. I realized that in some quarters it could be a death threat to her, maybe to him, and her life as she knew it was now over with the pronouncement, with the simple pronouncement of you are pregnant. Could never be the same. And I was shocked by her response. She said, I am God's servant. Let it be according to what you have told me. My next message was delivered to Joseph, her betrothed husband. Uh, I actually got to him a little bit late because he already knew that Mary was pregnant. She had already talked with him about it. And he had already begun to think about how he was going to divorce her so that he would bring her the smallest amount of public shame as possible. I came to him in a dream. My message to Joseph was that God was in all this turmoil. It turns out he was of the same character as Mary. He was just like her. And he accepted the role that he was being given and married his now pregnant wife. These interactions gave me insight into how noble and majestic these human beings could be. This was humanity at its best. I got to watch the last 33 years, the next 33 years, pass like smoke. The child whose birth I forecast grew into adulthood, Went through all the stages of growth and finished the last three years of his life in a ministry filled with opposition and grace. Amazingly, Jesus' unrelenting love and grace became the fuel for hostile reactions from his critics. God refused to intervene in these conflicts. Eventually, Jesus opponents found a way to arrest and kill him and it left the disciples who had staked their lives on him in shock and dismay some abandoned him some fled one was actually guilty of treason not to the nation but to the group The last message that I carried was the most amazing the most satisfying of all of them it came on Sunday morning. I scared two Roman guards out of their wits when I appeared at the tomb of Jesus. Of course, they had never seen anything as bright or as penetrating as an angel, nor had they ever seen anyone roll away a giant millstone like it was a marble. The earthquake didn't help either. <laughs> When the women arrived, I was sitting on top of the stone. My message was, don't worry. Jesus is alive. Go tell the others. It was the best message I ever delivered. Now I see what God was doing. He entered into human form and showed them how to stop the endless cycle of sin, grief, And sacrifice. God said, Enough's enough. How to stop the hopeless yearly sacrifices which only temporarily dealt with the mess humanity had made of God's word work. Through Jesus, God showed humanity a better way to live. In a world addicted to control and law and retribution, Jesus offered freedom. What a difference. In his death, the deadly cycle in which humanity was caught ended. It was over. In his resurrection, physical and spiritual death found their conclusion because of the way that Jesus triumphed over death and sin. And so I I tell you this morning that the last message I delivered was the greatest of all, and it begs to be delivered again and again. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for not giving up on your creation, for helping us to see a way out of the trap we're in without your help. May we now live in a way that begins at the tomb but leads us to Galilee and life. In Jesus' name we
0: pray this. Amen.